Will got a little bit confused. We've got a different trailer in the morning, so you'll have to come in the morning to see that one. And that's the evening trailer. I'm in Colossians, Paul's letter to the Colossians. So if you want to find that on your phone or tablet uh, or in the Bible, you might have picked up, a, if you've got one of the church Bibles, we're on page 1117, 1117. Uh, but if you're watching at home, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through to 20, and I'm going to read just over the page, um, chapter 2 and verses 6 to 10. Uh, this is um, the, the complete Jesus. We, we, some commentators think that Paul took these words I'm about to read, this paragraph here at the heading in my version is the supremacy of the Son of God. It was maybe one of the early Christian hymns and he's sort of taken the words of that hymn and kind of put it into prose here. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross chapter 2 verse 6 so then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord continue to live your lives in him rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form and in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we pray you'd speak to us this evening and in this series in the next few weeks of the uniqueness, the beauty, the efficacy of Jesus Christ. For our sake and for his glory. Amen. Amen. Picture the scene. There's a surfer on the west coast of, uh, of Cornwall. He, he's gone out with his boards. Uh, there's an onshore wind. He's getting quite excited. The waves were, were looking good. And uh, so out he goes. And uh, without being aware, first of all, he's caught in a rip current. I don't know if you've ever been caught in a rip tide or rip current on the Atlantic coast. But it can be... Uh, fearful, because within minutes you're carried out, uh, hundreds of meters within a few seconds sometimes. And, and this guy, he, he's carried out, he's now miles from shore, and he gets separated from his board, the, the one thing he could hold on to. And there he is, bobbing up and down, just the buoyancy of his wetsuit holding him in the water. He's getting cold and shivery, near hypothermic, and he's miles from anywhere. 
uh, he's beginning to face the reality of his own death. But fortunately, those who were on the shore and saw him carried out have alerted the Coast Guards, and the Coast Guards have scrambled the helicopter, and the helicopter goes out with the team inside, and they are scanning the seas, miles and miles and miles of seas for a tiny little speck. And there, eagle-eyed, they see him. And the helicopter hovers over this stranded surfer as he paddles frantically to, to try and stay conscious and alive. And the door, uh, the hatch opens, and the winch comes down with the, the winchman. And, and he's lowered down towards the, the near victim in the water. And he's lowered into the water in order to grab hold of the stranded surfer, to clip him into his own harness, and then together to signal to the helicopter and for him to be winched up with the surfer into the relative safety of the helicopter. There's a silver blanket wrapped around him, there's a hot drink, uh, and they quickly ferry him back to hospital for checkups and via the checkups, all good, back home to the embrace of family and friends, to uh, a nourishing meal, to his own bed at night, to complete restoration, safety. I want to think about that whole search and rescue process and what it depends on for its success. Or maybe to put it the other way around, what would cause it to fail? And, and, and in the whole process, the actual rescue, it would, it would depend on, on two key areas. First of all, the, the guy on the winch actually gets into the water himself. He actually, he actually gets into the very thing that is threatening to kill the surfer. He, he risks being killed himself. He's entering into the theater of death in order to effect the rescue. The rescue would be ineffective if helicopter found the victim, hovered over, winch comes down, winchman lowered down, three meters above the water, he goes, hey, keep, keep moving your arms, hope you'll be okay, and then he's winched up again. That would be an ineffective rescue. Equally, what would be ineffective is if the winchman, uh, helicopter, winchman down, into the water, unclips, hold on to the guy, hey, don't worry, I've got you but completely disconnected from the helicopter. Now they're both going to drown. It's no good being completely with the victim. It's no good being completely with the helicopter. You need to be both. You need to be fully attached to the helicopter and fully engaged with the victim in order that you can rescue the victim and bring him back into the helicopter. That image, that metaphor of search and rescue, particularly the actual point of rescue, is, if you like, a metaphor of Christ's work of salvation on the cross. And, and what it takes for the work of Christ on the cross to be completely effective. He has to be completely one of us, full humanity. Otherwise, he's like kind of God hovering above, angelic-like. Hey, guys, hope you're doing okay without actually being one of us, relating to our, us in, in every aspect of our human experience. But at the same time, if he's only human and not fully divine, then he, he can't probably be said to represent us to God. 
because he's, he's just like the rest of us, trapped and tainted by human sin, the result of the fall. When we think about the complete Jesus, we're thinking about how uniquely Jesus and no one else in the whole of human history who is fully divine and fully human and thereby completely able to rescue and restore us. The complete Jesus. And and so what we're going to do over the the next few weeks is to refresh our minds and I I want to make our minds work. I want us to think and and to inspire our hearts to, to sharpen our wills and resolve around what it is to be a disciple of this unique rescuer, savior, Jesus Christ. But to do it through the sort of come at Jesus through the lens of various heresies that um, emerged and and sprung up and flourished for a while, Uh, particularly in the early church is is when they first emerged. I'd want to argue they're alive and kicking now in, in different disguises and forms. Over the first three or four centuries of the church's history, there were about eight heresies that sprung up specifically around the person of Jesus Christ to to kind of undermine the veracity of who he is and what he has achieved for us. Let me just define a heresy so we're we're clear. Um, This is from my um, dictionary of theology, which I I discovered under a pile of dust on a shelf in my study. Heresy, the doctrinal deviation from the fundamental truth taught by Scripture and the Orthodox Church. So heresy is doctrinal deviation from the fundamental truth taught by scripture and the Orthodox Church. Do you notice the word deviation there? I find that helpful. It, it's, it's, a, it's a kind of, it's a deviation. It's not an outright denial of who Jesus is. It's just a, a subtle deviation from what we hold to be central and true. It's, it's not unbelief. Heresy is not unbelief. All the heretics that um, will we'll kind of, what we'll do week by week is we'll sort of raise up a sort of key heretic, someone who championed some kind of, kind of inadequate belief of Jesus. And so we'll say, well, this is what they believed, and this is why the Christian church, over time, discerned that it was, it was in some way flawed, in some way inadequate. It undermined the reality of who Jesus is. Um, but it, it's not that any of these heretics were, 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 they weren't atheists, they believed in Jesus. It's just that their belief in Jesus was inadequate. It, it fell short. And so we want to kind of explore that. And basically, all the heresies around Jesus fall into one or two camps. They either deny something of his deity, or they deny something of his humanity. They either say, look, Jesus was just a man. I mean, a good man, an amazing man, but he was just a man. There was nothing you know, particularly special in terms of his divinity. Or they say, no, well, Jesus was kind of God. He was kind of this, he was kind of this spirit that looked like a man, but he, he wasn't really one of us. He was, he was, he was kind of all God. He, he can't really relate to you and I. And, and so each of the heresies will, will fall into one or other of those camps. And what they'll do in in, in, in in being inadequate, if you like, where their inadequacy 
manifests itself, humanity of God. It's not to take seriously the sinfulness of human beings. And to deny the deity of God is not to fully grasp the extent and the breadth of God's love for us. Let me, let me unpack that just a little bit. If we take the, the metaphor of, um, of uh, the cross as a, a search and rescue, an air-sea search and rescue, let me, let me turn to one of, my, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It's, it's in um, John's first letter, 1 John, chapter 4, and verse, I'm going to read 9 and 10. 1 John, chapter 4, 9 and 10. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Verse 10. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is love. The human condition, you and I, we all, we all want to experience love. We want to experience what it is to give love and to be in receipt of love. We want, to, we want to know what it is to be loved. This is love. John says, not that we love God, but that he loved us. He took the initiative. When we were drowning, he's the one who scrambles the helicopter. He's the one who comes out and searches for us. And when he searches, he's the one who takes the risk into our place of death. He enters death in order to rescue us. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The cross of Christ demonstrates the complete love of God for us and how Jesus, and only Jesus, uniquely placed, uniquely qualified to express God's love and rescue us from our plight. The cross demonstrates the, the extent and the depth of our sin. If you like, just how near we were to drowning without hope of rescue. Think of it this way. When, when Jesus lived on earth, and by the way, there, there is no, I did history as my first degree, that there is no credible historian today who would deny that a figure in history, in our time and space, existed called Jesus Christ. There were non-Christian writers, Jewish writers, those who did not want the flourishing of the Christian faith in their day, who acknowledged that Jesus lived. A figure called Jesus lived. What, what you believe about him is open to much debate. But that Jesus lived. And John, in his gospel, records this Jesus. He describes him as the word becoming flesh. In other words, God living as a human being. He says, we've seen his glory. We've seen what he's like. And he describes him as being full, full of grace and truth. Just a moment, I'm, I said, I think, a few weeks ago, I'm, I'm just setting myself this little, little um, uh, sort of sideline to, 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 to as deeply as I can contemplate what a human life looks like that is full of grace and truth. This is Jesus, full of grace, radical generosity, and full of radical generosity, and full of truthful integrity. Can you, can you imagine 
what a life a human being would look like that's full of radical generosity, self-giving love, and is absolutely integral and true. You can trust their every word, their every action. Imagine what they would look like in our culture, in our world, in our city today. Wow. Wow. I mean, you on your best day, you encounter someone full of grace and truth. On your best day, wouldn't you want to to draw near to them? Wouldn't you want to in some way be in their orbit, their sphere? Wouldn't you want in some way to get to know them? Wouldn't you want to just find out how might I be in some way too full of grace and truth? Here's here's how how the, the cross of Christ demonstrates the extent of our sin. What did we do with a human being who was so full of grace and truth? We killed him. That's how far away from the heart of God the human beings had traveled. That's how in need of rescue we were. When a human being who is our ultimate prototype comes and lives amongst us, we can't stand him. And we murder him. This is love, not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. It it demonstrates, in, in that depravity of our human state, it demonstrates the extreme love of God who will search and search and search and send Jesus as an atoning sacrifice. A lot of people see that, that word, atoning sacrifice, and they go, oh, how, how amazing. What a wonderful example of, of love and commitment and faithfulness. A little bit like, you know, we hold people up um, who we, we'd count as being sort of worthy, um, you know, full of integrity and, and people that's worth following. You know, like people say, oh, isn't the queen amazing? You know, all those years of service, public life, scrutiny, so you had tragedies and all sorts of things to deal with. What an incredible role model. What an example. And we sort of hold the queen up as an example. But, but I, I don't know the queen. You don't know the queen. We don't, you know, she, I don't deny any of that, but what, how, how, is, how is the queen going to going to lift me out of my circumstance? How am I going to be transformed by seeing the queen? God's God's atoning sacrifice, it is not an example of God's love unless it actually achieves our rescue, unless it actually does something to transform our predicament. We might might admire someone who loses their life while running into a blazing building in order to save a child. But we wouldn't in the same way admire someone who jumps off the top of a high building just to demonstrate how much they love someone else. We'd say that's insanity. No, love is only love if, and God's love is only love through an atoning sacrifice if the sacrifice actually achieves something. And God demonstrates his love for us through Christ's atoning sacrifice because it deals with our sin. It affects the rescue. Two, two, um, two words that are sort of the theological words, if you like, that, that cluster around this idea of God's atoning sacrifice 
in Christ that makes Christ unique to us. He meets us in our humanity and represents us to God completely like no other human being. And around this idea of sacrifice is expiation and propitiation. Expiation means to wash away sin, to deal with the issue. In the metaphor, to pluck the surfer out of the water. And, and Christ's sacrifice has expiated sin. It has it, it is, it is soaked up the stain of sin in his body on the cross so that we, we, we effectively, he, as he dies our sin, we live his life. We're freed from the taint, the stain of sin. Sin is expiated. But actually, the word that Paul uses here, uh, sorry, Paul, John, in his letter, uses here uh, for atoning sacrifice is the word, the Greek word, um, hilasmos. And that is the word that we translate propitiation. And propitiation literally means to, to appease or to assuage anger or wrath. And some people say, well, sorry, well, whose anger are we talking about here? And the answer in theological terms is God's righteous anger, his wrath. And people go, whoa, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I've read about this. I've heard about this, this, this whole Christian thing. And at its heart, it's rotten to the core. This is, a, this is a capricious God who's capable of such anger that he'll send his son to die in order to deal with his anger. Ooh. Popular Christian leader a few years ago now, but uh, he, he termed the phrase on this whole theology, this, this, this worldview, he said, This is just cosmic child abuse. I don't want anything of it. But I want to suggest that that is for us flawed human beings to to judge God and his character through our eyes and not through his. Listen to what um, the famous Christian writer and apologist, John Stott, um, who was just a few weeks ago, he would have been 100. Uh, Listen to what he says about the wrath of God. The wrath of God is his steady, unrelenting, unremitting, uncompromising antagonism to evil in all its forms and manifestations. In short, God's anger is the polar opposite of ours. What provokes our anger, brackets, injured vanity, never provokes his. And what provokes his anger, brackets, evil, seldom, although I would argue maybe this week as an exception, but seldom provokes ours. The wrath of God, unrelenting antagonism to evil. The things that provoke our anger seldom provoke his and vice versa. This is God's just and righteous anger that through the sacrifice of Jesus, who is God in human form. It is his self-substitutionary sacrifice. It is God standing in our place, choosing to stand in our place through Jesus in order 
that sin might not only just be expiated, but also propitiated. Long words, lots of concepts. Okay, time for an analogy. Supposing that um, Joe and I, we kind of refurbish the vicarage next door. It's kind of part of a Victorian building. We think, come on, come on, Joe, let's spruce this thing up. And so what we do is we redecorate the whole vicarage, including in the, in the kind of front room, in our, in our sort of living room, laying a beautiful, thick pile cream carpet. Yeah. And we say, come on, let's have a big house. Let's get everyone around. Come on, church, come on around. We want to celebrate. Just come on in. And we've got nibbles and drinks. We've got sort of non-alcoholic drinks, alcoholic drinks. You can kind of just come in. That's all in the kitchen. And there's also various other rooms and so on. I would say, guys, come on in, eat what you like, drink what you like. Only one thing, one little rule we're going to set. Because of our lovely cream carpet, please can you not bring any drinks into the front room? You can drink in the kitchen, you can drink on the stairs, you can drink in the hall, you can drink outside. But don't bring anything into the front room, please. You understand? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. But let's suppose just one of you think, ah, it'd be fine. Glass of red wine. Can you see where this is going? Plus, my, Harry, it'll be fine, absolutely fine. No problem. I know, Tim's like, it'll be fine. You're just about to take a sip, someone jogs your arm, but it's always in slow motion, isn't it? Just the, the wine out of the rim of the glass and over it. Somehow it expands. It was just a drip when it left the glass, but it just gets bigger and bigger. And you see it falling down, 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 splash, 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 splash. Red wine on the cream carpet. No. Do you know what to do, by the way? If, if you're kind of not into the theology of this sermon, here's a practical thing. You know if red wine on a cream carpet, you know what to do, don't you? Everyone? A white wine will do, or salt. Thank you, Joyce. Yeah, white, yeah, white wine. I've tried the white wine. I've, I've been in positions where I've had to try any option going. You know the thing not to do? Don't get a rag and try and... Don't, if you try and rub it out, all you'll do is rub it in. No, it's, yeah, salt, I found salt. You get table salt, literally, liberally, all over the stain like that. And you'll be doing expiation. It's kind of another little sermon, really, this one. But this is what Jesus did on the cross. He was salt for our sin. Because what happens is the salt begins to catalyze a chemical reaction. And it draws the wine out of the carpet. Jesus on the cross, he, he drew, it's like he, he kind of just attracted all the sin and the impact of sin. He expiated sin, he dealt with sin, he washed the world of sin, he washed you and me of sin. As he drew it out of the world, Jesus didn't come to rub it in, he came to draw it out. And he says on the cross, it is finished, I have, I have expiated sin. So the stain is dealt with. We, we, we sort of hoover up the, the, all the sort of red crusty salt crystals and there's no more stain. Sorted. Well, kind of. Because the thing that hasn't been dealt with, what we've done is we've dealt with the issue impersonally. Expiation is impersonal. It's dealing with an issue. Propitiation is personal. It's dealing with a relationship. Let's think about this for a minute. Our house... We invite you in, free drink, free wine. Just, just, just be at home. Here's the one thing, though. Please don't take a drink. And you deliberately took a drink into the room. And not only that, you spilt it. So the consequence of you breaking our one rule has resulted in a ruined carpet. And okay, we've dealt with that. 
But have we dealt with what's happened to our relationship? Propitiation is to acknowledge that I'm vexed in spirit, (laughs) angry, because you did the very thing I asked you not to do in my house as a guest. I'm kind of, I mean, unless I've got no feelings at all, I'm just completely detached, I'm some kind of bot. But as I'm a human being, I'm engaged in that relationally. What, what were you doing? What was going on there? We, we're, we're out of kilter relationally. I know you've expiated the wine spill, but you haven't propitiated what it's meant for us. Unless and until you go, oh, Tim, I'm so sorry. I, I know what you said and I just disregarded it. I'm, I don't know what I was thinking. I'm really sorry. Will you forgive me? I'll forgive you. People are always more important than possessions. Of course I'll forgive you. Now, propitiation, because through that, that, that offer of forgiveness and uh, receiving forgiveness, so atonement is made. You know, atonement just means at one meant. An atoning sacrifice is when Jesus washes away the sin and repairs the relationship so we can be at one meant with God. Expiation and propitiation. And that's what makes Jesus completely unique. There is no other religious world leader that claims to be fully human and fully God in such a way that he can deal with human sin and repair the relationship between creatures and their creator. This is love, God says, through John. Not that we love God. Because we can think, well, look, I've, I've, I've messed the state. I've, I've, I'm doing the same, it's all right. No, we're saying, fine, chill. That's not love. Not true love, not real love, not, not blossoming, flourishing love. We deal with the issue and deal with the relationship that gave rise to the issue. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an expiation and propitiation for our sins. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. All sorts of theories about Jesus that fall short, they are inadequate if they don't press into the full deity and the full humanity of Jesus Christ. The writer Stuart Briscoe sums up what I've tried to explain just like this. He's written extensively about the creeds which were sort of statements of faith to, to help us keep on track with Jesus, not to, to, to divert through heresy. Man, humankind, he says, is alienated from God by sin. And God is alienated from humankind by righteous anger. It is by the substitutionary death of Christ that sin is overcome and wrath is averted. So that, <clears throat> excuse me, so that God can look on humankind without displeasure and humankind can look on God without fear. Sin is expiated and God is propitiated. Thanks be to Jesus Christ. Just, I'd love to invite the, the band back and, and just as they come back, we're going to worship God for the gift of his son that enables us to be in restored and repaired relationship. He who the search and rescue found us, plucked us out, has brought us home. 
It, it may be just by way of response. Uh, Laura mentioned the Alpha course we're, we're doing. We, we do it on Zoom. I, I just find it, it works well on Zoom. Um, the comfort of your own home. You can have a, you know, a drink, pair of slippers in your jammies, whatever. You're just there, engage with the film, discuss with others. Brilliant way to refresh what you think and where you're at with this unique Jesus. The other challenge, just as we go through this series, is I'd love to encourage you to, because to, what we'll do is we'll tee up the heresies as they emerged hundreds of years ago. And, and um, actually there was, a, there was a council in, in 451, there was an ecumenical council of the church, they got all the sort of different churches from all the different known nations at the time, got them together and said, look guys, what can we agree on? And this was the fifth such gathering since the birth of the church. And it was one of the most important ones because they were trying to just nail down these heresies around Christ. And this was the Council of Chalcedon in 451. Boy, my dictionary of theology has been useful this week. And they agreed that we see Jesus in this kind of, the Nicene Creed was reaching towards this and and they, they went a little bit further and said, look, he is fully human and fully divine. It's one of the most important statements of Christology in the whole Christian church. But it took them sort of 450 years to, to get to this place where we can, we can you know, our, our kind of starting point with Christ is, is what we kind of maybe take for granted in our church today. Fully God, fully human, in order that he can fully represent us to God. Um, here's a challenge. So we'll, we'll, we'll sort of flag up these heresies as they emerged years ago. Um, but the game maybe is to see if you can spot how they are kind of resurfacing today in, in the music that we listen to. Um, I mean, I know this dates me, but M people, search for the hero inside yourself. Heresy. Pelagian will come to him. Or, or the films that you watch. Don't get me on Frozen. <laughs> or the books that you read. You go into Waterstones, interesting um, section, religion. How much of that is actually self-help? Self-help? In the water? Drowning? Oh, I can rescue myself. Really? Heresy. I mean, Jesus is a good man, great example. I bet he'd be better at swimming than me. That's not actually going to help you. Unless you believe he can actually come and rescue you. Unless you have a full old belief of who Jesus is. Then your belief in Jesus will fall short. It will be heretical and it won't save you. So, so fun to see if we can spot where these heresies swirl around today so that we're not dr- tempted to drift off. We're not, as Paul put it to, to the Colossians, we're not taken captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, depending on human tradition, that we trust that in Christ, in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. So you ready for the journey these next few weeks? Wonderful. Why don't we stand together? Let's worship this God of ours.